This is The Waycast is a podcast where we recap every Star Wars episode as it's released on Disney+. Plus. This is your spoiler alert, and you have been warned. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of This is The Waycast, the Andor edition. I'm Sarah Edwards, resident Star Wars writer at Boardwalk Times. And I'm Giovanni Delgadillo, a columnist and podcaster at Boardwalk Times. So I'm back after taking a two-week hiatus, but things have so much has happened. So join us as we start recapping episode 11 of season one of Andor. And can I just say that it has been a journey. Like, this episode went by so fast but so much happened in it at the same time like I was thinking about it and thinking about stuff I wanted to talk about in this episode and I was like I don't I don't even know where to start so much happened well welcome back to the podcast yes yeah it has been pretty eventful over here with Andor we've seen so much happen you know Kino Loy the prison Melshi Melshi's amazing shirt which we will get to later but (laughs) yeah I guess the best place the best place to start really is with b2 emo because he he got all the emo this week definitely the center focal point of ferrix this episode it feels like every episode on ferrix you have a different character gets to shine this time we get to see our boy Rosso and b2 emo which i mean come on the the shot of him where you just see his eye and it's watering with the cup on his head so good so sad it's tearing up and it's funny because the running joke in star wars is droids don't have feelings and it's like well clearly b2 emo does People are saying that he's like what happens when a to a pet after their owner dies. It's essentially yeah. what they were doing with B2 Emo. And since he can vocalize his feelings, it's even more sad. Yeah. It, like, and the fact that he speaks in basic makes it even more sad because we're used to hearing like sad beeps from R2 or sad beeps from another droid. Whereas with B2 Emo, it just hits so, so much harder. It's like, wow, okay. <laughs> but yeah, this Ferrix arc was really interesting because we get to learn. Li- learn a little more about the community and how burials and these rituals go. I feel like burials and rituals when someone dies in Star Wars is not really something that's highlighted on. We know how the Jedi do it. They basically have a pyre. Um, But everyone else we don't really know. It seems like the only other one we really know is like Padme, but that's because she was mm-hmm. royalty. So it was like, you know, like a royal funeral. But you're right. We really don't know much else about these other traditions. And what makes it so interesting is that once again, as I've been saying, since the beginning on the show is that the world building is so exceptional that they spend all this time on one planet and they build it out. So they have this detail with the bricks, which I really enjoyed because I'd never really clicked with me how many bricks there are on Ferrix. And it's interesting to see that people become a part of it. It's almost a little freaky where it's like these people died working to make their community or working to build up their community. It, it's kind of morbid, but it's very much like we live on the backs of our ancestors, so to speak so I really liked the way that they handled that but I'm so sad about Marva her death kind of hit me pretty hard and I was was not expecting that and the craziest strongest part about it is that they don't show you her death they just show you the aftermath they want you to feel it from like the inside perspective that's why they set up her death in the last episode as like a oh she's dying on her own account because she's very rebellious but Mm -hmm. you know she's gonna die you know there's no way out so this being the direct aftermath I think was a really strong decision because then we get to see how characters deal with it as opposed to having 
having an elongated scene where obviously Cassian's not there to see her die. So it's just like the audience shouldn't be there either. Yeah. And I want to jump into Cassian. It's insane that him and is it Melshni? Melshi? <laughs> I always say it wrong. Um, it's cool to see both of them like they escaped and they're like, what do we do now? Like Andor is like, what if we they're both like, what if we were the only ones to make it out alive? Like what happened to everybody else? It's kind of funny that they took off and kind of left the other prisoners. It's like we don't know what happened. They got incredibly lucky too because I was thinking about it after watching the beginning of this episode where they're together and you start thinking about how the last of us you see all these people swimming but at the end of the episode you only see Melshi and Andor together running on this beach which means that the other people went some other way. So these two are clearly survivors so they're already known for doing this kind of stuff. So to them this is probably like a survival instinct for like we need to go this way and then when they're climbing these cliffs and going across these beaches and stuff just avoiding the empire they already know how to do this kind of stuff because they've done it mm-hmm. before and can i just yeah. say that narkina 5 is such a cool environment just it is. like it's a different kind of desert yeah it's like a desert like weird uh sand beach planet because there's so many empty spaces and a ton of water which we learn has been poisoned by the prisons which mm-hmm. i really like that detail that's another thing that i i think connects to ferrix is that this show seems to take the world war ii era star wars thing very like not literally but to a to a further extreme because mm. it feels very industrial era where there's yeah. like like bricks on ferrix and they're talking about this prison complex and they're polluting the water and the there's an arkinian and the other guy the guy with the goggle and thing mm-hmm. he's uh, apparently a leftover costume from rogue one i don't think oh, you can wow. spot him in that movie people were trying to figure out where he is because he's in the visual encyclopedia for rogue one but he's a different species so i found that really interesting that these two fishermen were there which that that part of the episode is probably the goofiest most star wars <laughs> alien-ish we've seen on the show so i really enjoyed that i really enjoyed that too i was worried that it was going to break away from the seriousness of the show i was worried that it was going to be like oh now here we are with the goofiness but i really enjoyed it i thought they did a really good job laying that part out and it kind of goes into my next point of like andor and melshi are trying to get word about this prison in pu- out to the public and the journalist in me is like how are they going to do that they don't have any proof that they were in the prison they don't have any proof that the prison exists like by the point that we see them at the end of the episode they're in completely different clothes so it's almost like how are they going to get word out about this like if they were to give out their numbers and their whatever their prison number was that could just hint that they escape and locate where they are so it's kind of like how how are they going to do this it makes it worse for Cassian because he's still under the assumed name Keith. Uh, mm-hmm. By the end of the episode, we don't know if he told Melshi his real name. He probably did. I mean, come on, they're probably. bloods now. But it's interesting to note that this episode did the same thing with Cinta, where they mm-hmm. skip her entire thing from getting from Aldani to Ferrix. Where here we see them go to Niamos just because he recommends it to these aliens. He's like, mm-hmm. oh, I need to go to Niamos. And he needs to recover, obviously, Nemec's manifesto and his gun and everything. So you're absolutely right in pointing out, like, wait, where do they go from here? Like, and and it's dangerous for them to do this because obviously this is a planet he got caught on but it seems like Andor in general he does not care about 
going back to places he's already been that are dangerous. I mean, he went back yeah. to Ferrix several times when he was under like duress. So yeah, I'm also curious, like obviously Nyamos is not the planet to do that. This is a vacation planet. No one's going to care. But maybe, maybe if he goes back to Ferrix, he tells the people and they believe him. But you're absolutely right. As a journalist, you, you need solid evidence. You can't just yeah. take somebody's word on it. So that is a very fascinating idea. I do wonder what they're going to do. Cause yeah, me too. I'm not an investigative journalist in any way. Like I, I don't dabble a lot in investigative stuff, but it, it definitely makes me wonder like, how are they going to get the credibility? And mm -hmm. speaking of um, Niamos, they really are out here with the foreshadowing. Like, ugh, oh my God. The yes. very ending shot is it's almost like a Korean spice where you take a bite. It doesn't hit you until you swallowed it. Like it takes a second to take effect because you look at the end scene, you look at him and you look at the horizon. And then once they cut away, that's when you realize like that's a beach. He dies on a beach. And that's the color of the sky that it looks like when the Death Star blows up the planet. Like I remember I was sitting there and I looked at the end scene. And then as soon as the credits started rolling and I was explaining to my partner what was going on, I, I then started crying and it was like, wow, okay. <laughs> Someone else has pointed out that sun sunsets and sunrises are associated with Marva for him because of the third the end of the third episode when he looks out onto the sun and she's the one piloting the ship. So he sees her as a guiding light. And as we see through Diego Luna's performance in this scene up to this point after he gets off this phone call, which I mean, this is so cool. This show has pay phones. I think that's really cool. <laughs> but he he gets off this phone call and he goes through all these stages of like grief very quickly. And you see it all in his face. And at the end here, yeah. he's looking out onto the light again. So it's like a double, um, double meaning type thing. Which makes his death that much sadder because in Rogue One, when him and Jen are about to get blown up, he's looking away from the light. Like he doesn't want to recognize the light coming. And I, I think that makes it so much more emotional. And even his dialogue when he was saying like, hey, tell Marva I'm okay. She would be proud of me. It's very much like the 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 pain, like the, the stabbing of the heart because it's like, oh no, he's still very much this young boy who just wants to make his mom proud despite everything that he's been through. And you know why they wrote it that way? Because the why? last line he ever tells Jin is, your father would be proud of you. So... Oh yeah yeah exactly and that's the name of the track that plays during that scene your father would be so proud so it's like wow the connection there the fact that the he angst. believes some people even pointed out that Cassian we we talked about this a little bit the last time you were on the pod that Cassian's more of an instigator than a leader mm -hmm. and we see that yet again here that he's very inspirational in a way that doesn't like he's not telling people to push forward rather whenever Melcy's like I got my fingers like I can't move and he says I hear you I hear you like instead of telling him oh you got to push forward no he understands what he's going through mm -hmm. that's the quality of a good listener and, and he's very inspirational in that way so that's that's something he's going to utilize for sure when he goes out and tells the world what's going on yeah absolutely all I know is this show is going to make watching Rogue One so hard like I loved it the first time I watched it and sobbed my eyes out by the ending that's going to be even worse now <laughs>
<laughs> it almost feels like now that we keep talking about it, because obviously Rogue One is the inevitability. It's the ending of this. Mm-hmm. It it almost feels like making it the season finale of both, well, the series finale rather of both of these shows really does work because of mm-hmm. how expansive the movie is. It's yeah. like you have Darth Vader, you have Leia and all these other things in it and a Grand Moff Tarkin. They feel like the end game level. Like, like these are the type of characters that would show up at the end of a series like Andor that doesn't rely on flashy cameos and stuff they would make sense to save those for like the the real big finale of this series so yeah it is going to be really hard to rewatch this stuff especially because Melshi is Andor's day one and in Rogue mm-hmm. One he's one of the guys who is right behind Andor leading the crew of ragtag rebels when he says oh, we're here with you you know behind Jin and everyone so yeah dang I also feel like this is preparation for when the Mandalorian is fin- finishes with its movie because we know that when whenever they're ready to end the Mandalorian they're going to end it with a movie and I have a feeling that they're they're testing out Andor's combination with Rogue One to to build up to the Mandalorian's finale I think the Mandalorian movie that finishes everything is going to be extremely emotional just like Rogue One and they they're using Andor to see if that's a good correlation I, that's I don't know if that that's sense. really smart it's like a backwards way since they made yes. Rogue One before Andor yes. I 100% think that works someone else pointed out since we're on the topic of what these series represent is that this series is kind of like a good a good comparison point would be HBO's Rome where the central character is an inciting incident of sorts because Andor the series is titled Andor this entire story leans on him because Mm -hmm. he's he's there every step of the way he's the reason all these characters are going to meet up in the finale everyone's looking for him and he means so much but they're all looking for him for completely different reasons it's not like he did the same thing to every person the inciting incident was the same but everything else has changed so there's a lot of stakes there yeah absolutely i guess i got chills just thinking about how andor is going to end how the mandalorian (laughs) movie is going to finish the entire series like andor has definitely brought up the it's raised the bar for star wars tv shows like future tv shows for star wars really are going to have big shoes to fill because andor has just blown everything out of the water it's actually really hard to to even believe that the other shows weren't like this to begin with like I remember when they announced the Mandalorian this is kind of what I had expected except with the bounty hunter Mm -hmm. so getting a show like this about like political side of Star Wars nothing like I expected because it's as quality as you'd want it to be and more Um, obviously we'll have more to say after the finale um, because I'm hearing some good things which I will talk about later but another great character in the series because people are talking about it on social media on Reddit there's a post today as of recording this episode that's trending because Mon Mothma is is such an amazing character people are like how come like who would have expected how many years ago now like over 40 years ago or getting close to 40 years ago that whenever Return of the Jedi came out this character that just says such a big character yeah such a vital role yes and even more be played by an actress who was cut from another movie to play the same character and now she's playing her so brilliantly like it's just incredible like the scene we get this week with on Mothma a lot of people have been talking about how many layers it has because we get yes. to see Lita leading this like 
chants to like some traditional thing almost felt very religious to me. It reminded me of like Catholicism a little bit, not yeah, one to one, obviously, but it's just interesting how like she's very traditional, whereas Mon Mothma is more progressive. And because of that, they're, they're, you know, straining apart on top of Mon Mothma doing all this, this stuff behind her family's back. And that's why she has this catharsis when she's talking to Vel, but you don't understand how much trouble I'm in because you can't tell anyone that she's in that much trouble. Yeah. She's feeling all these things. I'm sorry. Lita is just so mean to Mon. Like the the glant, the side eye that she gave Mon when she was hugging Vel. Like homegirl. Oh my god. Like what did she do to you? But one thing I particularly loved about this episode in just the past few episodes is Mon is kind of her dress and her overall demeanor is becoming more casual. So like one thing I noticed is her hair is not as done up as it was in the beginning of the show. Like when we see her it's almost like it's just been combed through but nothing else has been done with it and her clothes have just gotten so much more plain it kind of shows how she's like breaking down she's much more fragile like I thought I was in a good spot and I don't know what's happening now that is an excellent observation I just watched an interview with the costume designer and everything you're saying lines up with exactly what he was saying where they wanted to represent the character's journeys the storytelling through what they were wearing and Mm -hmm. can I just say this entire show has incredible costume design I think Mon Mothma's costumes like her her dresses are just so detailed and and it's funny because now thinking about her as a rebel her hair is completely loose and she has like just like a generic gown on her so it's like the complete opposite like that's the completion of her arc essentially so it's that's a great observation and and Lita's side eye is so mean like that's the one thing with this kid (laughs) yeah it's like this show as people have pointed out the main Star Wars saga focuses a lot on fathers and or has three mothers in it three different characters who are affected by the different circumstances regarding their mother because you have Lita and Mon you have Cyril and his mom Mm -hmm. and then you have Cassian and Marva and all three of them have completely separate relationships with their moms so it's like I don't know how people make these connections so quickly but that's 100% true it's like you have Vader is like the overlying father figure Mm -hmm. of the Skywalker saga so I don't know I found that really fascinating and I love that truly I really love that all of these mothers are also not relying on a man whether it's their son their husband anything they're not relying on a man to develop their story arc because like for Shmi Skywalker we needed Anakin's angst to uphold her storyline which is fine like the the focus was on Anakin the focus was not on Shmi but like for these other three mobs in Andor they kind of are leading their own storyline and the men or the kids are just a side piece of like Cyril's is a little bit different because we're focusing more on Cyril but his mom is still very much like I don't need you or like you should be grateful so but for like Mon and Marva they're still very much like I'm a woman of my own I don't need anybody and I really love that they don't need a husband or a male figure to bring up their character and you know what's funny about that all three are different circumstances because in Mon's circumstance she's in a forced marriage and it's almost like if they had Chandralins had divorce she probably would have divorced this guy or the other way around he probably would have divorced her by now Mm -hmm. although he is feeding off of her family wealth so there is that angle to it and then you have uh, Cyril and his mom where we don't know what happened to his father and I think that's for the best it's like you you don't really need an answer but she feels this intense need for him to to do great so that she can feel better about herself almost in a way she's like oh I need you to be great like oh you're so ungrateful like blah 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 because she feels the shoulder yeah exactly and then you have Marva who Clem was killed 
killed by the Empire, which is why she has such a disposition against them and why Cassian clearly had a disposition against them when he started. But mm -hmm. now he's been so jaded by everything up until he goes to prison and now he sees what she saw. So the entire, the, the fact that we have three different mothers in the show and they're all detailed in completely different ways, I think is just amazing. I mean, oh, we just... even get to see more of Cyril's mom in this episode just being very like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cyril overall, every time I see Cyril, the more I'm like, they should have made this somewhat of an angsty gay storyline because the, this man just wants, at this point, like he has no, if he found Andor, what would they do? They would just be like, okay, that's really cute, honey. He would not get a pat on the back. He would not get some kind of rising promotion. And I feel like he knows that, but he still continues on this journey anyway. Some people have speculated that even if he does anything, like for example, identify Luthen, he, uh, Deidre is just going to squash him. Like yeah. he's completely pointless. He, she'd just be like, oh, my credit, it's mine. Like, because that's all she cares about is herself and yeah. her rising the ranks, which once again, in this episode, we see, we don't really see much of her in this episode. We only get a really, like, a really small scene of her, but we see that she's so ahead of the game when it comes to planning out different things. And what I do love about this show is that even though she is the smartest character in the room for like a majority of the time, she also has a lot of support from her other Imperial officers, which shows you that the ISB is supposed to be effective. I mean, it shows how terrifying the Empire really is when they're actually good at their job. Mm -hmm. And because they're the ones that tell her about the funeral and, and the circumstances surrounding it and the bricks. And she's like, she starts putting the pieces together from that. So it's not like she's the one like, oh, yes, I already knew that. Instead, yeah. you have this like community of just terrible people feeding each other good information. So I really like that because in fact, there was a lot of ISB stuff in this episode that was disconnected. Mm -hmm. And I think for good reason, because mm -hmm. this episode was more about Marva than them, because we also have the Bix scene, which is just, yeah. oh my God, Bix, uh, Adria's performance in this episode, she didn't say a single word and said so much. But you still felt so much from those scenes. Like this just plays more into the show, don't tell. Like the acting is so incredible that they don't need to verbally explain what's happening for you to understand what's going on. And her performance, like it, her performance was what, like two minutes, three minutes? That's all you needed. It was fantastic. So quick little trivia moment. The Anto Krieger guy, this is somewhat of a mild spoiler for this series, although I don't think this will spoil anything for anyone. He won't actually show up, I don't think, in any scenes. Reason I say that, the guy who plays Anto Krieger is actually, I think, a artist or something for Lucasfilm that they just 3D scanned. And he mm. was saying that this is for all my bald fat guys who wanted to cosplay as a Star Wars. <laughs> character like this is all from his twitter he was talking about it how they 3d scanned him and put him in and he's like yeah i think they may have done up my eyebrows in post <laughs> but yeah barry gingell or gingell i don't know how to pronounce his name Th this guy he's the savior of people who wanted to cosplay it <laughs> anto krieger so that's really cool but yeah that's kind of a mild spoiler i guess is like which i mean it doesn't really matter we probably weren't gonna see him anyway judging yeah. by the circumstances surrounding his character and what's about to happen due to another scene in this very episode so yeah that was cool to see little trivia moment in the midst of all the chaos with Bix and and the, this guy asking her what he thinks is probably politely please answer this question mm -hmm. and if she answers uh yes that's the guy like that's Axis she screws him over like triple times because they yeah. think oh that's Axis let's go kill him so mm -hmm. the fact that we don't get to see her answer at all or see if she got an interrogated 
Yeah. By Dr. Gorse. It's like, exactly. It's the suspense, which this show is excellent at in general. Now I need to go. I was not on the episode when Saw made his first appearance, but there is something about Saw Guerrero where he will always make his appearance in some form or fashion. And I always make this joke about Saw. You could throw this man through a shredder and he will somehow still be alive. He could be thrown out into space with no oxygen and blow up and somehow still be alive. Like this man has been put through so much and yet somehow he still survives. So anytime he makes an appearance in anything, I just have to die laughing because it's like he, you just watch him deteriorate as we go through his life. And I'm just like, what a man. I, I really, Saw is such an interesting character because he's abrasive. He's very, I want to say impulsive. Like he, he's not really a thinker. And maybe this is just because I'm used to his Clone Wars persona, but he he's very much like, he'll think about a few things, but he's a very impulsive dude. Yeah, and something I guess we should talk about with that, and we mentioned this on the episode nine podcast, I'm pretty sure, when he first made his appearance, is that he's very, or was it episode eight, whatever, he's very much a, in this series a lot more serious than what we're used to from him. Yeah. And in this episode, we see that again, where he's like all riled up about the whole situation and he's also very paranoid still because he starts questioning everything about what Luthen tells him and then some people have been speculating about this because Luthen gives his little cane to the guards and like oh what is this and, he, mm-hmm. and he's like give it to me and uh it's just a cane some people are like could it be a lightsaber it's like no <laughs> it's just a cane it's no, a cool it's cane a but and we get to see more gadgets from Luthen later 007 but yeah. <laughs> but yeah that that scene with them where they have all this trust these trust issues that was really cool way of showing that Saul isn't that far gone yet because he does come back once Luthen mm-hmm. tells him like okay well here's the thing and then he starts mentioning this stuff about um two tubes where he's like oh yeah tubes is my my informant and he's like what <laughs> and then tubes is like oh yeah that was good. so funny yeah that was also very Luthen. yeah Luthen in many ways sometimes reminds me of a desperate obi-wan oh my god he kind of is he's he has that same bravo like like yes yeah i don't know how to put it but yeah like showmanship where he's like constantly trying to play people in the room and he always wins he's playing that like 5d brain chess with them (laughs) so so getting him to talk about all this random stuff getting saw i mean talk about all this stuff it's like oh my god because saw was actually willing to work with krieger which is exactly what luthan wanted all along but now he's like this is a terrible idea like pulled off this is done he could have told saw yeah go get yourself killed just Mm -hmm. to protect his source but instead he tells him the reality which is why he needs the gun on him so that Saul will listen I really enjoyed that twist where it's like okay enough is enough I will I still won't tell you who the source is or if I even have a source or how many Mm -hmm. sources there are etc I just want you to fall in line and then they have that excellent line at the end from the trailers which has more weight to it now when he's like um call it what you will and he says let's call it war it's like yeah "Yeah, that's exactly what's going on they're sacrificing 31 people just for the sake of keeping themselves a secret yeah I really love Saw's actor whenever he's in live action. Like he he's so good. I I don't I don't even know if I can explain it any further, but like he he kind of he really knows how to show that Saw is both impulsive
aggressive, but also like he'll jump into th- he'll jump into things, but he also will refrain on things. Like I don't know how else to explain it, but his performance is always so well done. And and I think it's like you're saying, of Forrest Whitaker. I think he gets more to show off here than he has yes. before. Like in Rogue One, he's basically just crazy, and so he's yeah. playing that angle up. Go, yeah, <laughs> deceptions. And so he's like very <laughs> exaggerated. Whereas in this, he can dial it back a little bit, and they give him a lot better stuff to work with well rather more to work with because the dialogue is so intense so i really enjoy what he's doing here with saw it it adds all these layers to saw that we didn't really get before yeah it's just like oh my god i really love seeing that because he's he's questioning everything but he's not far gone yet so it's not like in the future where he locks up bodhi rook he's like (laughs) bodhi rook it's kind of insane how we get saw is a character that has so much development that a lot of people don't realize there like for a lot of people who have never seen clone wars or never seen rebels or played any of the games like Saw Gerrera seems like just a radicalized character who he just has beef with everybody but it's so crazy to see how he goes from wanting to fight the separatists to just wanting to fight everybody like he doesn't have alliances with anyone he doesn't trust anyone he, you are if you are some form of like organization or organized organized in any way he doesn't like you and it's crazy to see how he goes from that and you see it from Clone Wars you see it in Bad Batch you see it here now like there there's so much development that I feel like just gets slept on and that's I think that's why he's such an interesting character he is so much development but you have to truly find it yeah no it's exactly it's the birth of an anarchist essentially because we all know he was an extremist after his sister died in Clone Wars and this is just what I've been pushing it to the brink every time it shows you these different sides of the rebellion that we've been discussing on the series he's definitely the side of like whatever it takes which Luthen buys or rather plays into in this episode by pushing him towards let's just sacrifice these guys it doesn't really matter which i think saw eventually believes as well which we see in rebels yeah so now comes the next question like what are we predicting for the finale i truly don't this show has shown me that i can't predict anything that's gonna happen i'm and i'm very okay with it i love the surprise i love that it's not we're not gonna know what happens i love that they really keep it discreet like that so one thing that i do want to say before we jump ahead because i i'm glad to see him is that the sergeant linus mosk made his little short cameo appearance again i really missed that guy and i'm (laughs) glad he got to show up he's really funny and just i don't think the reason i mentioned him is he's one of the characters i would have liked to see in the finale or see again and i'm glad that he was in an episode but i don't think he's gonna be in the finale or anything so that's cool i think he's such a funny dude oh yeah no he's hilarious sir blah 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 like i think always so over exaggerated and then and then cyril doesn't he barely catches up what he's saying and then he steals his mom's (laughs) credit card it's like that was so funny jesus yeah, of course he would just to fly all the way to Ferrix because he doesn't have the funds for it otherwise. Yeah. And then, of course, we have the the amazing Luthan ship as well, which I think we're not going to see get to see in action again in the finale. I feel like it is going to be used again, though. That thing was so sick. Praise to all the people at ILM. I just found out that a Halo YouTuber, like a Halo gaming YouTuber, works at ILM. And he specifically was saying on Twitter that he worked on some of these sequences. I'm like, it's really cool wow. to see how people in the industry also 
also do like content creation mm -hmm. and i really like that because that scene is just mind-blowing cgi for a tv show oh, shows you how long they've or how intelligent it was for them to build a lot of practical stuff so they didn't have to rely on cg too much in the show so that when the cg moments hit they're extremely high quality yeah and you, and you don't really scene, notice that they're happening yeah no it's really tense scene and i i really like that the imperial officer is just ego he's like oh we just need to do this like we don't need to do this because luthan's original plan worked he got away technically by saying oh yeah i work for alderaan but then he knows if they search the ship that he's screwed so because they find out who he is and all this other mm -hmm. stuff so it was really the only way out was to defeat them and another quick trivia thing that ship is called a cantwell class star wars uh star wars a cantwell class star destroyer cantwell is the last name of one of the original designers of the star destroyers in wow. this, the original star wars trilogy so that's a really cool like throwback to him i really that's like so that cool. and, and it's a cool design i mean that's really the tractor beams on the front and how they call themselves arresters it's like oh <laughs> that is a really cool way to to catch him because it's like yeah he was gonna get caught at some point mm -hmm. but yeah his ship is essentially a james bond car like is what yeah. people were saying is this show is about spies so having it with all these amazing gadgets like i don't know why i'd never crossed my mind that using metal parts like specifically little fletchets to get rid of a tractor beam is super intelligent yeah like, duh, they're like, gonna be magnetized toward mm -hmm. the source of the tractor beam but i guess other ships just weren't really made to handle that yeah no his is his is just crazy and then the little dual lightsabers thing spin yeah. does that thing is so sick and i'm so mad that they showed it in one of the tv spots it was literally the thumbnail on one of the tv spots for the show wow. so i had it spoiled to me but i cannot imagine how cool that is for people watching the show going in blind you see this amazing ability i was like that <laughs> so yeah the fondor hallcraft is easily one of my new favorite ships in star wars and Absolutely. quick Mine little too. mention the this quad jumper mandalorian moment too like yes it was escape the escape the organization moment like luthan sometimes is like a leader mando like if, yes. Man if mando has to lead a movement i think this is what we this is how he would be like i feel like in a way it foreshadows a little bit of what mando leading a possible movement could look like and i'm no, sure very excited because i have a feeling that when we get to mando season three he's gonna be a leader of some kind we just don't know in what aspect or how so yeah this is a good tease for that and getting to see the razor crest well not the razor crest rather his new nubian starfighter or n1 starfighter do its thing but yeah i, I really enjoyed that part i thought they it was really well crafted and luthan's ship became one of my favorite <laughs> ships very quickly because of it so yeah yeah that's all i have to say about those things like in terms of leading up to the new episode i don't think we're going to see that and i don't think we're going to see more of my boy linus mosk but yeah. for actual plot stuff i think there's going to be some sort of not the word I, i'm trying to find a better word for it rebellion seems like the correct word to use mm -hmm. there will be an uprising that's the right word mm. there will be an uprising due to this funeral and i they still haven't hanged pack i think that's yeah. going to be the turning point and cassian arriving the people are going to protect cassian like they did at the end of episode three except mm -hmm. he's going to help them this time i think that's what's going on is instead of it being a selfish thing where he got lucky in the third episode that they were willing to help him now he's the one that's like i'm gonna help you and we're gonna take down something here on ferrix so there's a lot going on yeah. that he's i'm excited now selfless. for he's now thinking about the good of others without actively thinking about the good of others like he's not a he i wouldn't say he's a hero in that aspect he's like a uh, i don't even know how to describe it like he's very he's doing things for the good of the people but it isn't really his intention his his intentions are still on himself they just happen to also benefit everyone else if that makes sense 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what's going on. He has these like ideas of who he is and he, sometimes they benefit others. But for the most part, he tries to do things to benefit himself, which mm -hmm. in this case, I think is going to work because he's going to help everyone involved, be mostly because it has to do with Marva. Like yeah. that's so personal to him that he's willing to do anything for her. So it just makes me think because he's becoming more selfless and more rebellious. By the time we get to Rogue One, he's a full-fledged assassin. How are we supposed to like buy into that by the end of this show? I wonder how season two is going to play out because of that. So I guess we'll see more by the finale, but we have to see him become more ruthless because he's been ruthless here and there, but he still has that like moral compass where he questions some things. Yeah, exactly. Well, I guess we're just going to have to see how next week plays out, but oh my gosh, it is going to be a time. But until then, thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of This is the Waycast. For more Star Wars content, head over to BoardWalkTimes.net and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at BoardWalkTimes. This is the Waycast is a BoardWalkTimes production produced and edited by me and Giovanni Delgadillo and music by Kevin McLeod.